Hello, Real Life family and friends. Uh, Pastor Tim, just excited to be with you again today. And I just want to take a second to thank uh, Dave Winslick and uh, Trevor and Ryan for helping us out with doing these videos every week. Uh, they do a great job, and if it wasn't for their help, we wouldn't be able to do this together. So thanks out, uh, big shout out to those guys. Thank you for all your help, you guys, and for everybody who serves our church and makes all these things possible. Uh, you know, we are all in this together, so it's exciting. Today I want to continue uh, along our theme of talking about the kingdom of God, but before I do, we have Easter coming. I want to make sure everybody knows that this year for Easter, on April 17th, we're going to have two Easter services, one at 9 o'clock and one at 11. So if you're able to join us live, please come to one of those services, invite your friends, neighbors, your family members to come. We want to fill this place up with, with people who are ready to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ and also to share the good news with them. So bring people to church or have them dial in with you for that special Easter message uh, because it is the hallmark of our faith, isn't it? The resurrection of Jesus Christ started this whole thing off. If it wasn't for that, uh, none of us would be saved. But because of the grace of God uh, through Jesus Christ and his sacrifice for us and his resurrection to life, we all can have resurrection life in him too. Also on April 16th, we're going to be doing our big Easter event for the community again. And uh, I have some cards here. If you are able to help us, we have volunteer cards and opportunities uh, to be a part of that day from 10 until noon. Uh, we have egg dyeing going on, face painting, egg hunts. Uh, we'll have snacks and pictures and, you know, all kinds of great, great things for the community and for the children to enjoy. Hopefully the weather will be decent for that. But we're looking for people to help us serve the community by serving at this uh, event and by really sharing the love of God uh, during this Easter season. Also, next week on April 10th, we are going to be joining all the other churches here in Montrose to do a prayer walk. We call it our crosswalk. And we're going to begin at 3 p.m. at the Montrose Township offices. And we're going to go for about a mile and a half walk and stop at each different place, praying for the community, praying for the churches, praying for the city, praying for the township, our police officers, our firefighters, our schools, our students, our families, our nation. And it is just a great opportunity for all of us of faith to come together to walk the streets of Montrose, committing this land into God's hands and asking for his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. So if you can join us again, it's April 10th, Palm Sunday, three o'clock, starting at the Montrose Township offices. Also, we're looking for some hard boiled eggs too. So that's another way that you could help us if you'd like to... Uh, Boil some eggs for us, for the kids to decorate on April 16th. You can fill that out as well. When you, if you can stop by our church office, we have all this information there for you. Today I want to talk about the kingdom of God again. Two weeks ago I started a series on the kingdom. And the first week I mentioned that the gospel of the kingdom is the good news. It's the good news that God has come into our uh, dark world, our broken world, into the kingdom of this world and began a new kingdom, right? His kingdom to redeem uh, out of the darkness and out of the brokenness and out of death itself, us and this creation. So Matthew chapter 24, 14 says, And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So we see this message that Jesus brought is also the message he gave to his disciples, which is also the message the church has to give to the world today. And it is good news. 
It's good news because the King of glory, Jesus himself, the Son of God, entered into a broken, dark world that we messed up to redeem us and to redeem this world out of a kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. The king of the kingdom has appeared to you and to me. His name is Jesus. And Jesus has made a way for us to be saved out of darkness and grafted into the kingdom of light. The kingdom of God will grow and overcome the darkness. And all of this will be consummated with the return of Jesus Christ the Lord and Savior, our great God and King, who will come again and, and finish what he began uh, at the cross. And so until then, the church is empowered with this gospel, the gospel of this good, this good news that God has come to rule and reign once again here on the earth, not just on the earth, but in us. Psalm 110 says, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. So interesting verse. When if you have uh, certain translations in the Bible, I know my New American Standard Bible translates it this way, where it shows two different ways of writing the word Lord. One of them, the first one, is all capital letters. L-O-R-D, big letters. The second Lord has a capital L and a little O-R-D. It distinguishes in the original translation of the Hebrew between God the Father, Yahweh, right, the, 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 the holy name of God, Adonai, the Lord, so God the Father said to my Lord. Who's my Lord? Well, the writer is David. And David is using the name for Adonai, which means is a word that we are going to say is referring to not, not, um, not God the Father, but God the Son. And so God the Father, Lord, all capitals, says to my Lord, Jesus, sit down, son, until I make all of your enemies your footstool. All right? And so what's happening now? Well, we know that Jesus came. He did his part. He, he ascended into heaven. And now he is seated at the right hand of God the Father. And now we see the prophetic interpretation of this verse is God is now subduing the enemies of Jesus and making them a footstool, but Jesus is sitting down. So how is God doing that? What is this deal? What does this all mean? Well, now the Spirit of God is in me and in you and in the church, and the kingdom of God is to be extended through the church. And we are to bring God's rule and reign on the earth in the hearts of men and women and young people, and that is subduing the enemies of God. And uh, that's pretty exciting. We are a part of building the kingdom of God. Jesus has done his part. He has now entrusted his spirit into us to continue what he did, but he's going to come to finish it. Hallelujah. And that's the good news of the kingdom of God. No matter what's going on around us, God is with us. He's in us. We are on the winning team and Christ is going to come and finish that. But in the meantime, the church is still extending the kingdom. We're still proclaiming this good news. We still have a great purpose and a mission on this earth. And so the gospel of the kingdom is the message that we need to preach to the entire world. This is the plan of God, that this message needs to be heard in every nation, by every tribe, and then, and then Jesus will come. The preaching of the kingdom speeds up the coming of Jesus because when the message is finally proclaimed all over the world, then people have that choice to make Jesus the Lord of their life. And God's not going to come. Jesus isn't going to return until people have had that opportunity to accept him and place their faith in him as Lord. 
And so the kingdom, though, is not out there. It's not something physical that we're looking to see happen, although there are physical effects of the kingdom of God. Jesus, then next, last week I talked about how the kingdom is within you. And so the kingdom isn't out there, it's in here. It starts in the hearts of people, in our soul. And so Jesus said this in Luke 17, 20 to 21. He says, the kingdom of God does not come with observance, nor, nor will they say, see here or see there, for indeed the kingdom of God is within you. So this good news of the kingdom of God coming isn't just something on the outside or external or in the shape of physical kingdoms and armies, but the kingdom of God has come and it is now within us, can be within us. The rule and reign of God is not about physical armies. It's about our soul being submitted to God and coming under his lordship, his leadership, because whatever is on the inside of us will make its way to the outside. If there's evil and hurt and pain on the inside, that's going to come out on the outside. But if there is the kingdom of God, peace and love and joy and freedom on the inside, that's going to come out on the outside. And so the kingdom is an internal work in the hearts of people. It is not an external force upon the people, but it is welcomed in our hearts. We, we place our faith in Jesus. He comes in. That's why we always used, you, you usually would say, invite Jesus into your heart. Really what's that saying is that the kingdom of God is on the inside and we are allowing God to come on the inside of us and rule and reign on the inside and he changes the outside. That's what last week's message was all about. So the kingdom of God is about restoring God's rule and reign over all the creation and the most important part of his creation is you and it's me. And it's every single person on the planet. God loves you. He loves me. And he wants to have his love and joy and peace and life ruling and reigning in you, in you, in your heart. The priority of the kingdom of God is the souls of mankind. This is what God wants to rule and reign. This is about a relationship with God. Not a religion for us to please God but a relationship with God where his love awakens inside of us. And so this kingdom is about our hearts on the inside, not about our behavior on the outside. That's where so many people get off track. We start to think religiously about these things. We start to think about what we need to do for God or how we should uh, behave or what we shouldn't do for God. But God wants to rule and reign in your heart. And when you rule and reigns in your heart, the outside behaviors begin to fall in place for us, okay? So when God has your heart, everything else will catch up on the outside. Today I want to talk about, as I continue building this idea of the kingdom, is not only is, did we talk about the gospel of the kingdom and the kingdom is within you, but today I want to talk about what I mentioned last week where Jesus says to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. So today's message is seek first his kingdom. I want to talk about that. comes out of the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. But before we get to that, I want to give it some context. In Matthew chapter 6, and this is really in the Sermon on the Mount, the, the tail end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is talking in verse 19, and he says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. And listen to this. For where your treasure is, 
there your heart will be also. So last week I talked about in Peter, Peter in chapter 2 talks about how all this world is going to fall apart. It's going to be burned up. It's going to disappear. And he said, with this in mind, knowing that this is what's going to happen to the kingdom of this world, what lives ought we to live? Shouldn't we live holy and godly lives as we wait for the appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ? Shouldn't we live a dedicated life to the things that really matter? And now Jesus is talking about this idea too. He's like, look, things down here on earth, you can try to build a kingdom down here. You can put a lot of energy and effort into collecting things, doing things, accomplishing things. But there's thieves that can steal what you've earned or piled up. There's rust that will eat away at your possessions. But he says, but you can change uh, the priority of your life and you can, instead of storing things up here on earth, which are going to amount to nothing, you can store up treasures in heaven, which will make a difference in eternity and last forever. Wow, this is what Jesus is challenging us to do, is to have a biblical worldview, to have a biblical perspective of our days here on this earth. That your days are incredibly valuable because God has placed within you his spirit that can change eternity in the hearts of other people around you. If you allow God to use you in such a way to love other people and to serve his kingdom and his purposes, if you seek first his kingdom, God will move through you to bring about the building and um, increase of his kingdom and rule in people's hearts and lives. It'll change lives forever. This is the idea of Jesus's message. He goes on to say, no one can serve two masters either. This is verse 24 in Matthew 6. Either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. And he just says, you can't serve both God and money. You can't just have your life about um, self-seeking and collecting and, and worshiping the God of this world. And the God of this world is money. That's just power, money, lust, greed, selfishness. That's what this kingdom of this world is all about. And Jesus says, you can't serve that God and serve God, money and God, at the same time. It doesn't work. And the, the real issue is Jesus is saying, where is your heart? You know what? I want to say this. Your heart is the most prized realty to God in all of creation. The one thing that God wants the most out of everything to redeem in all of creation is your heart. When Jesus is talking about these things, he's talking about our hearts. Is your heart surrendered to God? Does God rule and reign inside of you? Are you finding everything that you need in him? Or are you running after the things of this world? So he goes on to say, so don't worry, this is in verse 31, so don't worry saying what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear. Listen to this, for the pagans run after these things. Unbelievers in this kingdom, that's all they do. They just run after all these things. I want more of this. I want more of that. I need this. I need, and, and, and we try to save our life in a way, Jesus would say. He says, but he who seeks to save his life like that, seeking personal satisfaction, personal accomplishments, building up treasures on this earth. He who seeks to do that is actually going to miss or lose the real purpose of his life. 
But whoever loses his life for me, trusts in me, gives me their life, they are going to find the purpose that they were created for. They are going to come alive because I'm the one who designed you. I'm the one who designed your life and your heart. That's what Jesus is saying. And so I know it's a huge paradox for us who live in this fallen world. Our minds don't think that way. It doesn't make sense to us that if we give our life away to God, that somehow we find life. But there's all these other things that I would rather have. I see that. That looks good. Oh, I, I feel that. That feels good. Oh, I want more of this. I want more of that. Look at all around us. It seems like it's just a giant competition to get more. But Jesus says, don't be like an unbeliever running after all these things. Don't worry about that stuff. And then comes our verse for the week, Matthew 6, 33. He says this, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. If you, you know, allow God to take care of the inside in your heart, if you surrender God, you give God your, your, your inside, he'll take care of the outside. That's what Jesus is saying. God knows you need all these things, and he loves you, and he'll take care of you. But there's a higher purpose to your life than trying to save it or find it through the things in this kingdom of this world. Jesus says, seek first his kingdom, God's kingdom, and his righteousness, his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you as well. So last week I gave a challenge to meditate and memorize on a passage of scripture called Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. Uh, for those of you who are at church, uh, you had the opportunity to get one of these little booklets, and this is a little memory guide that I created. And we have some of these left if you'd like to stop by and get this. Within a week's time of going through this process, you'll have this huge passage of Scripture memorized. It looks pretty intimidating at first. There's a lot of words there, 80-some words there to memorize. But if you follow this guide, it'll help you memorize it. Now, the reason why I'm challenging you to memorize God's Word and meditate on Scripture is because that's what the Scripture tells us to do itself, is to meditate, to speak it, to think it, and to allow God to use His Word to transform our thinking, our thoughts, our feelings, so that we can be more like Jesus, okay? And so I'm going to read this passage again, and I'm hoping that it rings uh, truth with some of the things that God was saying to you if you took up that challenge. And if you didn't take up that challenge, I re-challenge you to do that. Titus 2, verses 11 to 14. You can stop by the church, pick up this booklet, or you can just get your word out and practice that and meditate on it and write about it. See what God says to you. It says this, For the grace of God, and of course this is talking about Jesus Christ, he is the form. He is the embodiment of the grace of God, something we didn't earn or deserve. But the grace of God that brings salvation, Jesus, has appeared to all men. And it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions, right? So the power of Jesus in us, his spirit within us, actually gives us the power to change our desires from a sinful desire to a righteous desire and say no to this and no to that because it's harmful. It's not in alignment with God's will. So we have a new power in us. The grace of God, the Spirit of God, Jesus, in us, teaches us, nope, 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 I don't need that. I don't want that. That's not who I am anymore. Isn't that awesome? But not only that, it also teaches us to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. 
So right now we're still living in a fallen world, but in the midst of a fallen world, the Spirit of God, Jesus himself in us, not only is helping us say no to sin and breaking our, our habits of sin, but he's also teaching us how to live a righteous life, a godly life, so we can have an abundance of peace and health and joy and quality of relationships and the favor of God upon us because we're putting it into practice. It's amazing. Remember, this is not you trying to be a better Christian, but this is Jesus himself in us causing this to happen. It's a new power. It's a God power within us, right? That's what God was saying to me as I was talk, uh, meditating on this, on this passage this week. It goes on to say, while we wait for the blessed hope, our hope is this, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He is coming again. Until he comes, we're going to constantly be saying no to sin, growing in our capacity to be free from the past and free from our hurts. And we're also going to be learning how to be more and more like Jesus, living an upright, godly uh, life here on earth. And it goes on to say this, for um, who Jesus, who gave himself for us, he gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness, and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. So Jesus wants to sift us from all the depravity, all the hurt, all the pain, all the sin, all the stinking thinking. Cleanse us, purify us so that we belong to him, so that we are his image bearers on the earth, that we are, we are completely clean again in him and through him, so that we are now filled with a new desire an eagerness to please God, to do good for him. But it's not because we're trying to earn it, but because we are alive and we see clearly now who we are, what our purpose in life is, who he is, and what he's done for us. It is the grace of God that is doing this in our lives. This is not a religious effort from anybody that accomplishes this kind of a work or transformation. It is only through the grace of God, Jesus himself, his spirit, his word, working in us that does this transformation on the inside that works its way to the outside. Hallelujah. This is awesome. So Paul says this. He's talking about how much God has forgiven us, this grace of God. And he says in Romans chapter 6, verses 1 to 7, I'm not going to read all these verses, but I'm going to pick and, pick and choose a couple of phrases. In verse 1 he says, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? In other words, because God has forgiven us of our sins, should we just go ahead and sin whenever we want to because we're forgiven? And then Paul answers his own question in the next phrase. He says, no, by no means, of course not. Why? Because the reason Jesus came to forgive us of our sins is to set us free from our sins, to redeem us out of all wickedness, to purify us from all of that darkness so that we belong to him. So we be, be like him. So we are transformed into his image so that we have life abundant in us and through us, right? So Paul's like, listen, don't get this skewed or, or bent around and, and, and twisted around. Because you are forgiven, now you have this power to live a new life. The challenge is, though, not everybody thinks that way. Not every believer is accessing the grace of God to be cleansed, to be purified, to be redeemed. But that's why Jesus came to forgive you of your sins so you didn't have to live in sin any longer. 
So we should look different than those around us as Christians and the believers because there is a God power doing something inside of us we could never do for ourselves. And that is part of the contagiousness of the life that God wants to show others through you. He came to give us life and life abundant. So let him have his way in you. Later in this same passage, Paul says, we're, We were therefore buried with Christ through baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. It's part of the gospel of the kingdom. Because God now rules and reigns inside of me, I'm able to live a different life. I'm not better than anybody else, but Jesus is doing something in me that, that he's not doing in a, in a non-Christian who isn't serving him or, or allowing him to rule and reign in him. And so my life is getting better through, through the grace of God in terms of how I'm becoming more like Jesus. He's healing me of some hurts. He's healing me of some insecurities. He's changing me from the inside out. So I am starting to shine brighter and brighter, as the Bible says, until Jesus comes back. And so are you. So there is a difference that's going on in, in believers who are allowing God to give them that power to live this new life. And so we go on to say, and Paul goes on to say, for we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. So we are no longer slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. So now we have a new beginning and a new power to enable us to live a new life. That's why our tagline here at Real Life is live a better story. Because you and I begin to live a better story the moment we turn our life over to Jesus Christ. He begins to do something in us we could never do for ourselves. So in Philippians 3.12, Paul says, hey, look, not that I have already obtained all this. I'm not perfect. And Paul was like way up there on top of the, if you wanted to do a competition of who's the most righteous person on the earth, you know, he was way up there, right? Right in the top. And he says, look, I'm not perfect. I haven't obtained this yet, right? Or, or I haven't been made perfect yet, but I'm still doing something. I'm still pressing on. Right to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me. And so this is a life, lifelong process for all Christians, that we are becoming more and more like Jesus throughout the rest of our life. <clears throat> Excuse me. But I want to share with you out of Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, a very powerful verse. <clears throat> Excuse me again. It says, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, it penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. So the Word of God is the only power. It's the only thing that has the power to go into us where our heart is and separate our soul and our spirit and discern and distinguish between the two. So we are... Made up, our soul is made up of our mind, which is what we, what, what we think. Uh, it's made up of our will, which is what we want. And it's made up of our emotions, which is what we feel. So what we think, what we want, what we feel. This is our soul. And our soul, uh, because of sin, uh, is damaged. It's depraved. It's lacking. Parts of our soul is in, is, uh, in bondage. 
uh, is deceived. We have some wrong thinking. We have some wrong desires. Uh, we have some strong wills that are more pride-oriented or self-oriented. And so our soul is infected. And Christ wants to heal our soul as part of our transformation. So what happens when you become a Christian is that your spirit is instantly born again. There isn't anything better or new or more that can happen to your spirit. You came alive when you placed your faith in Jesus Christ. Your spirit was dead and it's born again. You're alive. Your spirit is one with Jesus now. Okay? You have a spiritual connection and hotline straight to God at all times. But your soul is not that way and your body is not completely healed either. And so part of our transformation of becoming more like Jesus is most of that work is our soul being redeemed and being changed part, you know, bit by bit. And, and so you begin a, a transformation process when we become believers that lasts the rest of our lives. And you are empowered with God's spirit. That's where this grace comes into play that helps you do that, that we were just talking about, live this new life. So it's the Christ in us that begins that process and also, you have a new purpose that is born inside of you, that God created you for through Jesus Christ. So, I just want to share with you about the Word. We're used to living out of our soul, not in alignment with the Spirit of God. We're used to living out of what we feel, what we think, and what we want. And we make decisions all the time. We, we say things all the time. We do things out of what we feel all the time. That's based out of our soul. But we need the Word of God to get right into the depths of who we are, to heal our soul. The Bible says in Hebrews 4.12 that this is living. It is active. And it is the power of God to go inside and separate and show you what's going on in your soul. Because your spirit is healed, but your soul is not. And God wants to do a work deep inside of you that... You and I need to have the Word of God to do. That's why I'm challenging you with memorizing these scriptures. And this week, at the end of uh, this message, we're developing a longer um, booklet of several scriptures. I think there's 10 scriptures. And it's going to be one of two or three books that I'm making about who we are in Jesus. I think there's going to be 10 verses in there. And over the course of six weeks or so, you can memorize 10 verses of who you are in Christ. And you can get that word into your soul and it'll begin to set you free from wrong thinking. It'll begin to heal you from some hurts or labels of the past. And it can also empower your body to be made whole and to receive physical healing as well. And so the more of the word of God that we allow to get into our, our soul, the more our soul begins to heal and transform. And only the Word of God with the help of the Holy Spirit can do that for us. And so I'm really encouraging you to uh, just take time to meditate, memorize, and let God's Word do some healing in your soul. Okay? Now, all of the, why, where does all of this have to do with um, seeking first the kingdom of God? Well, Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God. And that means seek first God's rule and reign. And God wants to rule and reign where? Over buildings or countries or uh, committees? No, he wants to rule and reign right here over your heart. And if God's going to rule and reign in your heart, 
then that means we need to get the Word of God to rewrite the things that are on our heart, the things that are in our soul. And so to, to seek first the kingdom, Jesus is saying, is the best thing that you can do with the life God has given you is to allow God's kingdom, God's rule and reign inside of you, thought by thought, will by will, feeling by feeling, and let God pull and renew and pull things out, put some things in, and let his rule and reign, his kingdom, increase in you, because Jesus says where your heart is, that's where your treasure will be. And he's like, or wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. That's what he says. And so we want to treasure God's word and it will change and transform our hearts. And then that is what I see that God is saying, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, his working in our lives, his rule in our lives. Now, once that happens more and more within us, then God has a purpose he wants to do through us. And that is helping the same thing happen in other people's lives around us. Through our gifts, our talents, our influence, we are to be proclaiming this good news of the kingdom, that the kingdom is not out here, but it is within. And God wants us all to seek first the building of his kingdom right here. And then through us, we help others come to that same place of God ruling and reigning in them. I hope this is coming together for you. Okay, I want to talk about a word in Hebrew, and I'm almost done with this message, but I want to talk about a, a word in Hebrew we say all the time, and that word is amen. In Hebrew, it might be pronounced like this, amen, amen. But whatever, it's, it is a Hebrew word, and it means truth. It means truth. When we say amen, we say amen in our church a lot. Uh, sometimes I ask people to say amen. Sometimes I ask you to say amen. I'm like, come on, somebody say amen. And you say, we say amen. What are we saying? In Hebrew, what we're saying is, it is true. What you just said, it's true. I believe it. I agree. That's true. Why is that so important? Because we have things inside of us that we believe right now. I'm telling you right now that are not true. And when God's word is spoken over us and there's the spirit is almost having a conversation with our soul. It's our spirit saying, did you hear that? <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know what I'm doing here, but did you hear that? My spirit, spirit of God, Christ in me. Did you hear what was just said? Say amen, man. You need to agree with that. And our soul says, well, that's new to me. I've been believing this for a long time. But you know what? I think you're right. So I'm going to say amen. <laughs> and when our soul says amen. When our soul agrees with the truth, we say, that's true. Our soul begins to be changed. Our soul begins to get healed. Our soul begins to get free. Something's going on on the inside. What's going on? The kingdom of God is growing on the inside of us. The rule and reign of God. There's a sliver in our soul that was not under God's rule that just came under his rule and changed us on the inside. And eventually that change on the inside is going to work its way to the outside and other people begin to see something different in us because something that happened on the inside where the kingdom of God just grew. This is the process we're all in right now. And so I'm encouraging you to lean into it. That's why in 2 Corinthians 1.20, Paul says this. It's a very common verse I quote. He says, For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. 
Christ has already said yes to all these promises. He's already made them possible for you and for me. And he goes on to say, and so through him, through Christ, through the grace of God in us, through him, the amen, it's true, I agree, is spoken by us to the glory of God. So again, the spirit of God in us, Christ in us, is helping our soul, helping us say something. Do you see this? Do you hear this? That's true. And we say, amen. I agree. That is true. That's my new truth. I'm getting rid of this old lie. I'm going to receive that truth. Amen. That's true. That's what's happening in us. And it says, now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us. God anointed us. He set a seal of ownership upon us. He put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. And so Christ in us, his spirit in us, he's already said yes, and his spirit in us is trying to get our soul to agree. Would you say amen? Would you say this is truth? Because once you say this is truth, you accept it. The truth sets us free, heals us, changes us, transforms us. 2 Corinthians 10, 4 and 5, Paul is talking about this some more. He says the weapons that we fight with are not the weapons of the world. Obviously, we're not using grenades and you know, guns and slingshots or whatever. You know, it says, on the contrary, the weapons that we're using, they have divine power. Everybody say divine power or God power, right? To demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. Paul's saying, we're demolishing those wrong thoughts, those wrong ideas, those wrong labels that are contrary to what God says is true. And we're doing that with the word of God. And it says, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Because Christ is the way, he is the truth, he is the life. Christ is in us, trying to get our soul healed. Also try to uh, heal our bodies, right? Salvation, the salvation has appeared to all men. The grace of God has showed up. Jesus has showed up to save us, to redeem us from all, on, from all wickedness, to purify us so that he has a people that is his very own, right? And so this is how it all comes together. So what does it mean to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, right? It means that we are seeking God's rule and reign in the deep inside of who we are, and we are allowing God's purpose to be played out in our lives as we help others come to know God as well. You know what changes nations, society, culture? People. And if you want that to change um, in a good way, you know, for the, the kingdom of God's sake, then we need the kingdom of God inside their hearts. When the kingdom of God is inside a person's heart, it changes their outside, changes their decisions, changes their truths, right? Changes their opinions, changes their hurt and their pain, heals them, transforms them, and then Christ begins to come out of them. And then wherever they are, they start making different choices. They start making, you know, uh, different priorities. What changes uh, the society is people and how people are changing. And if our society is falling apart, it's because a lot of people are falling apart. And if, our, and if there's areas of our society that are blossoming and flourishing, it's because people on the inside are blossoming and flourishing. Because wherever the rule and reign of God is, there is life, there's freedom, and there is abundance. And let that be your testimony. 
Let there be life and freedom and abundance in you because you are allowing God to rule and reign in your heart, in your soul, in your life. As I said before, when you're born again, your spirit's instantly born again. You're, you are empowered with God's spirit. You begin a transformation process that continues for the rest of your life. And you begin to walk in the purpose that God has for your life. But to keep it simple, there's really these two things you need to remember. Right? Just basic two things. Number one, God is conforming you into the image of Christ. That is the rule and reign of God in you. Romans 8, 29 says, For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to this image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. So we need to understand that all of us are on this journey together. We are all becoming more like Jesus, and we want to lean into the handiwork of God there. The second thing is this. Realize that not just is God trying to transform us into the image of his Son, but God has a plan for your life in Christ. He has a plan for you. The Bible says in Ephesians 2.10, For we are God's handiwork or masterpiece. And we're created, listen to this, in Christ Jesus. So when you're born again, you are made anew in Christ Jesus. And you are made in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for you to do. God has a plan. And that plan is going to involve people's lives. And God, Christ in you, wants to come out of you to touch other people, to bring His rule and reign into their hearts and lives, to save them and to transform them and to awaken within them their Christ purpose, their reason for living. And Christ is the power. It's not your power. The power of your life is not a better you. It's more of Christ in you. The power of Jesus in you is not coming from you. It's coming upon you. It's not something that we generate. It's not something that we do. This is where the His righteousness comes into play. Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. It's Christ in us. Not what I do, but what Christ is doing in me and what Christ is going to do through me. Right? So you are not the source. Jesus is the source. And you are made in Him to do good works through Him. Philippians 2.13 um, says this. This is the... Uh, common English version. It says, God is the one who enables you both to want and to actually live out his good purposes. God is the power. Christ in you is the one that's doing this. He actually helps you want it and he helps you live it out. Okay? That's the good news of the gospel. It's not us on our own trying to do it to please God. It is God in us doing it through us. Man, so awesome. And so there's all kinds of examples of how the kingdom of God uh, becomes our priority, right? It might be a changed thought that God wants to change in you. It might be God wants to heal a hurt. He might want to break a bondage off of your life. Every time you take a, a, a principle of God's truth and apply it to your life, you're seeking first the kingdom of God. Right? When you choose to forgive someone and let something go, you're putting the kingdom of God first. Now that pain and that bitterness that was ruling and reigning inside of you is gone, and God is now ruling in that place of pain. Every time you know, that you, you change your mind or let God do something new in you, that you're seeking first the kingdom. You're, uh, you're saying, God, is there anything, any part of me at all that you are not ruling and reigning in? And if there's any, obviously, as I said last week, if there's any area in your life right now that's dead, 
that's broken, that's hurting, that's dark, that's not prospering, well, I'll start right there. Because obviously the kingdom of God is not ruling and reigning in that thought or that habit or that relationship or that attitude or you know, that label or that pursuit. Because wherever the kingdom of God is ruling and reigning, there is life, freedom, prosperity, abundance. That, those are the, the characteristics uh, and those are the, the, those are the fallout qualities of the kingdom of God. And so we want that. Anything, that, anything to do with your soul and your body being transformed and coming under the influence of the kingdom of God instead of remaining under the influence of the kingdom of darkness, that is putting, seeking first the kingdom of God in your life. Any thought, any feeling, any desire, any sickness, any disease is a candidate for redemption and transformation. Jesus wants to purify us, sift us, prune us, cleanse us, redeem us from all wickedness. There isn't a sliver of our life that Christ is not interested in redeeming, right? That Christ doesn't look at and say, that's mine, that belongs to me, because you're made through him and you're made by him and you have life in him. And so all of this is about his righteousness shining through us and allowing his life right, to, to bring life to us. So I got a challenge for you. I want to challenge you to fill out a testimony by answering four one, with one sentence questions. If you could take these questions today and just write out one sentence answer to each of these four questions, that is your testimony. And if you're willing to do that, bring that to church, and I'm going to be asking people to share in 60 seconds the answers to these questions so that they can give a testimony to people what God is doing in their lives. Because God is always doing something in our lives if we allow Him to. And the Bible says in Revelation 12 11, they triumphed over Him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word, <clears throat> excuse me, of their testimony. So Jesus' blood, shed blood on the cross, has provided everything we'll ever need. All the promises of God, as I mentioned earlier, are yes in Jesus because of his sacrifice for us. But there is that next step that we need to take. We need to have our soul agree with what Christ has already promised. And we need to say that amen. And when we say that amen and we say that's true, then we have a testimony and we speak out what God has done in us. And that's why I want you to have this testimony. I want you to share it. Maybe you share it with someone in your family or a neighbor, a coworker, or a fellow student. But this testimony is what God is doing right now in your life and it's your story. So the first question is, what was a thought, a desire, a feeling, a hurt, a bondage, a sickness, or something like that, that used to have, that, that you used to have as a struggle or, or something that Jesus has transformed or healed or set you free from? Just specifically, what, what thought, thing, uh, habit, bondage, hurt that you had that Jesus has changed or transformed or healed in you? Just one sentence answer. What is it? And the next question is, how did this transformation come about? How did it happen? Were you reading? Were you in church? Were you listening to something? Did, were you reading the Bible? What, how, a friend talked with you about something. What, how did this transformation take place? The third question is, what is the truth or result of what Jesus did in your life? I used to think this, but now I, I, I think this. I used to have that, but now I realize I don't need that because of this. What's the truth or the result of what Jesus did? One sentence. 
And finally, the last one, how are you different today? How are you better today because of what Jesus has done in your life? One sentence answer. If you read those four sentences, uh, you can do that within a minute. That's a one minute testimony and that will bring glory to God and it will confirm in your own heart that God is still working on you. I got good news for you. What God has started, he will finish. He will finish in you. He'll finish in me. As, a, as I close this message, I again want to invite those of you who are watching who don't have or know Jesus as Lord and Savior. Maybe you've tried religion. Maybe you've tried to please God. Maybe you're worn out from it like I was at a certain point in my life. And you just need this loving relationship with Jesus. The good news is this is the grace of God for you. Jesus is the grace of God being offered to you. You don't have to earn forgiveness. You don't have to deserve forgiveness. It's not about what you do. It's about you surrendering your heart to Christ and declaring with your, your mouth that in your heart you're saying, I'm pl placing my faith in you, Jesus. Not in myself anymore. Not in religion. Not in observances. Not in my performance. I'm placing my trust and faith in you. That you have done this on my behalf. And I receive you as my Lord and Savior. And I know that you're going to come into my life. And through your spirit, you're going to begin to change me and transform me from the inside out. That's what you're doing when you declare Jesus as your Lord and Savior. So if that's in your heart, pray this prayer with me right now. Say, Jesus, thank you that you are the Son of God. You came and gave your life for me to save me, to forgive me of all my sin, and to set me free to empower me to live a brand new life through your spirit in me, through your word growing in me. And today I'm all yours. I surrender my life to you and I place my faith in you, Jesus, as my Lord and Savior. Fill me with your spirit, with this grace, with this power of God so I, I can learn and know and live this new life of abundance that you made possible for me. I'm all yours, Jesus. I love you. In your name I pray and trust. Amen. Amen. And I pray that this message is encouraging to you and that you take up my challenge to meditate and memorize on the Word of God so we can continue to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Stop by the church, pick up one of these scripture booklets. It'll really be a blessing to you and help you do that. So now as I close, let me bless you guys, okay? Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And the Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you shalom, His peace, in His name. May the Lord finish what He began in each and every one of us in His name. To Him be glory and praise forever and ever. Amen. Amen. God bless you. I love you. Hope to see you soon. Keep shining.